MYP fam, welcome to another episode. Today's episode is part one of an interview with Jeremy Enns, who happens to be creator of the podcast Editor Academy and also writes the Counterweight Creative blog. And in this first part, Jeremy and I talk about whether your audio quality actually matters, the difference between podcasters and YouTubers, and some of the reasons that your show isn't growing. We're going to release part two next week, so make sure you hit that follow button. But that's enough for me. Let's get into the interview with Jeremy Enns. Jeremy, thank you for uh, hanging out today, man. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. And I've been following your your content for a little while now, so I'm excited to to chat. So, Jeremy, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about the podcast industry is I, I started in the sales world, and so I could not want to get out of that industry faster. I just, I was like a, a black sheep, frankly, yeah. and I'm so grateful for the experience, but I realized that I was a, a creator and a creative and sales, that industry is just a, it's a different energy. And so I got into digital marketing and I've even found that some of the industries are just very cutthroat mm-hmm. dog eat dog mm-hmm. and zero sum game. And it, and maybe it's, it's the nature of some of the industries. But the reason I bring that up is I found that the podcasting industry to be very of the opposite. Mm-hmm. One of the themes that came up on our, on our last episode on the podcast growth happy hour that our Twitter space was coopetition. Mm-hmm. And it was something yeah. that Evo kind of touched on. So I'd love for you to just share your journey, what you do and how you got here. Yeah. So I um, got into podcasting kind of through the technical side of things, which is, I mean, I don't know that there's like an opposite of the marketing side of things, but I feel like a lot of times people who are super into the technical stuff want to stay away from more of the marketing stuff. And not a lot of people with the marketing experience necessarily totally. have the technical background. Some people do, but uh, I went to audio engineering school. I wanted to work in recording studios and make records and all that kind of stuff. And so that was, I guess, 10 years ago, coming up on probably my 10 year anniversary from graduating will be this year sometime, I guess in June, I think it was. So that's, I hadn't actually thought about that milestone, but I mean, the funny thing is I, after school, I interned at a big studio for free. I was there like one day a week, two days a week, something like that. And kind of how it works in, in these studios is you show up at 8am in the morning and you're just there. You don't know how long you're going to be there. It's till whenever the sessions end for the day. So some days maybe you get, you know, off at five or 6 PM, more likely you're there till like 4 AM. And so like 8 AM to 4 AM is, you know, hard to do like once a week, but the people who were moving up ahead of me and actually getting some paid gigs and stuff like that as assistant engineers and, and those types of roles, they were there seven days a week. And like, they didn't have jobs. I knew people who lived in their cars and I was living in Vancouver where I'd moved for school, which is as uh, many people may know, one of the most expensive cities in the world. So I was like, well, okay, I need to have a full-time job in order to support myself and stay alive. And I think I had like a minimum wage job and then was there, you know, on the weekends at the studio. But within six months to a year of doing that, I I was already interning while I was still in school. And then after, after I finished that off, I was just like completely burned out and was like, this sucks. Like I am not going to be able to move up because I can't put enough time in at the studio and I can't just keep doing this. Like what, what's the point here? And I had learned a lot from that. And there was, when it comes to, you know, working with bands and I mean, all the technical side of things when it comes to recording and mixing and all of that kind of stuff. And so it was a, a good experience and I took a lot away, but there was just a point where it was just like, this is not going to get me where I want to go. And I made the decision, like, I don't know that I actually want to work full-time in audio or at least in, you know, the, the world of music. So I kind of just set that to the side, 
for a while and just said, I'm just going to go do something else entirely. A friend around that time had reached out with a proposed trip to to go traveling. I'd never done a ton of traveling before, but I'd always wanted to. We'd talked about this since high school. So just started doing landscaping, manual labor work, saved up for a couple of years and then took a year off to go travel. We did a, a cycle tour through Europe for three months. And then I went to Southeast Asia for another four months and came back, found some, did tree planting in Northern Canada and did, went back to landscaping. And it was kind of when I went back to landscaping that I discovered podcasts. And I had never been a listener before. This was in 2015, I think. But after this this year-long travel stint, I was like, oh, man, how can I do more of that? And I didn't know the world of online business existed. None of that. But pretty much I started my uh, new landscaping job, found out, oh, we can listen to you know music or audiobooks or whatever. And I thought, like, on the first day, I was like, actually, I should check out these podcast things I've heard about. I know my friend always talks about them. And so I went home, opened up iTunes at the time. And I didn't even know what to search for. So I think I searched like creative business or something like that. And immediately there's just like dozens of shows on online business and location independence and all of these things and really just went down the rabbit hole. And I think that I worked a, that landscaping job for a year. And over that year, I, I probably listened to 10 hours of podcasts a day on one and a half or two X speed all and basically gave myself this kind of online business education. And by the end of that year, I'd found my way to podcasting after some like from an editing perspective after a couple other twists and turns and had enough clients to go full time on that and so now it's been coming up on 6 years since um starting out as an editor and then growing a team and uh, having an agency now yeah it's funny i found podcasting cuz while i was basically a sales recruiter and so we would put out we would go flyering you know you would basically walk around outside for 4 to 6 hours yeah. similar to you know mowing a lawn so one thing that I am curious about, though, is the importance of the quality of audio. I found that a lot of the people that I've interviewed recently, they've spent a lot of time learning about audio, putting it in the time to, to learn about how to be a, an audio engineer, essentially, mm -hmm. right? And that was a big you know, tribute to their success. And then I find that there's a lot of people that are on the opposite end. Frankly, I'm on the opposite end, right? Where I, I was very much of a marketer, an entrepreneur, and I was like, oh, a podcast, that's easy. You just record it, an MP3, you'll let you upload it. And so what's your stance on that? How do you help podcasters, both from a practical standpoint, but also a fundamental and a foundational standpoint, get through that whole process? Yeah, I think that I have on that spectrum, I've kind of like changed positions many times and, and probably will again at some point. And, and it's so dependent on who you're talking to as well and what type of show they're aiming for, because I think certain types of shows demand a higher level of production quality than other types of shows do. And also the purpose that your show is playing in your content ecosystem or your business, I think that also matters. So, for example, like we can look at two different case studies here, perhaps. On the one example, if you are starting a podcast, which I believe this is the best use case for a business owner for podcast, or th there's a few good ones, but essentially like people start podcasts and they think I'm going to build an audience and that just doesn't really happen. Like a podcast can attract an audience over time, but with the amount of competition and noise and all that stuff there is today, it's just way harder to organically grow a podcast by just putting out content. And so for me, the much better use case for a business owner who is looking to use the podcast to in their their marketing to help generate leads or sales or whatever that is is to like find people elsewhere direct them to the podcast and you know by the time they've listened through 10 or 20 or 30 episodes like it's almost more of a sales enablement tool where people get to know and, and like and trust you through that 
but you may need to find those people elsewhere first, somewhere where it's easier to get that exposure. Maybe that's guesting on podcasts. Maybe that's guest blogging. Maybe that's doing cross promotions or doing speaking gigs or like whatever that is, wherever you're finding people like out there, podcasting is probably not the most efficient way to just get initial exposure, but it is, I think the most efficient way to build trust with an audience. And so I think if that's your goal, or if you have an existing audience that you're bringing to the show, I think the bar for audio quality is actually a lot lower, especially if you're like, maybe you've built up a huge newsletter and you have people like we have so many clients who have large audiences and their audience is just like clamoring for like, when are you starting a podcast? And they've been asking them for years before they end up starting one. And so I think if that's your audience, you have a pretty low bar for audio quality because people, they already know you, they already like you, they already trust you. They just want more of you in a more personal way. And so even if you don't have the best audio quality in the world, they're going to be there because they like you. And that may make it harder to bring in new people, especially if those new people have a kind of benchmark already in their mind of like a podcast is supposed to sound like this, this level of quality. And I'm not saying like you should just record on your, you know, laptop mic or your headphones or whatever, but a, a half decent mic is fine. You don't need to go all out with, you know, acoustic treatment and, you know, renting out a studio or anything like that, buying a thousand dollar mic. That's that's fine. Whereas on the other case, if you are in the world of like audio dramas and things like that, you need to sound really good because there is a expected standard of when it comes to the sound design, when it comes to music, when it comes to your voice, if you have other actors and stuff like that, like that's all got to be, you don't want to take anything to take people out of that story. And so I think depending on the genre that you're in, depending on how the podcast fits into your goals, all of those things kind of will have an influence on like where that bar falls for you. But on the big picture, I would say like the bar has been raising as larger media companies and networks have been, you know, coming into play in podcasting. But at the same time, it's kind of sucks to see from a someone who cares about audio that there are like celebrities out there with podcasts who have terrible production quality. And so I, like that's kind of frustrating. You know, it would be nice if a podcast were universally well-produced. I think that's good for, for everyone if people have an association that podcasts are legitimate media that's worth their time. And so I think low production quality kind of turns some people off of podcasting as a whole. And so obviously not every creator out there can afford a studio and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm not saying like, you know, feel bad about yourself if you can't do that. My audio is probably not the best right now either. I'm in like a very boxy echoey room right now and I've got a decent mic but like when I think about the bar for audio I think if you have a decent mic and you kind of know what you're doing at least with choosing an environment maybe or or how to use you know proper mic technique things like that like that's okay I think what gets annoying to me as a someone who like looks at the podcast industry and, and hears people talk about like oh you know that when they have bad experiences with podcasts how it sounds terrible and I'm like oh yeah that just kind of drags the whole perception of our industry down it's when there's like these interruptions in the background or people like have headphone mics that's just rustling against their face the whole time or there's like they're recording outside or in coffee shops which like this all still happens and i think like if you're not doing that if you have a quiet space and a decent mic you're probably okay and you you've met that bar for good enough to at least get started and i think there comes a time when you want to level up probably but at the start i think so many people think that audio quality is this like make or break thing and so they might invest like hours and hours and hours and hours, dozens of hours into learning all these audio engineering, you know, b basic skills or advanced skills even. And they don't actually have a show that is what I would call marketable. Like they don't have a show that has a concept that is capable of actually hooking people and getting them into the show. And so no matter how great 
your audio is, if you don't have that kind of compelling concept and like a really hooky idea in the first place, like it really doesn't matter. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And that may shift again over time. But for me, I would say like it starts with the idea and then getting like good enough audio to at least like not get in the way of that that idea. Yeah, it's a great answer. A really practical answer too. What about discoverability? That was something that seems to be a hot, people get fiery about yeah. it. And I know people that have created entire apps for it, you know, and I also see daily LinkedIn posts that say it's not broken. So what say you? Yeah. Oh man, people do get fired up about this. I, I see both sides of it. I see like, it's easy. It depends on what you're comparing to, I think. So on the one hand, we have YouTube, which has a built-in discoverability engine. But at the same time, I think that's what a lot of podcasters or a lot of people who kind of bemoan the, this current status of the podcast industry when it comes to discoverability, they look at something like YouTube and see like, oh, there's an algorithm that suggests things that you might be interested in. And like, that's what we want. Or something like Netflix too. And I mean, these are closed ecosystems that have complete control over their entire content libraries that like podcasting is just not built that way. So like somebody is like Spotify is probably the front runner right now needs to build off. If that's going to happen, it's going to be this closed off ecosystem that all podcasters and all listeners need to buy into to some extent. You could make an argument that, you know, if there's a, a sufficient critical mass, like it would work to some extent. But the same thing, like ask any YouTuber. How hard is it to get the algorithm? Like how much time do people spend working and analyzing with that algorithm to get their content found? It's not just like there's all of a sudden an algorithm and then people will be discovered. No, like there is tons of competition. And so even if that happens, it's not just going to be all of a sudden like magic listeners are going to show up for you. It may be easier. And the one thing is that there's probably a roadmap. I've been thinking about this recently with in comparison to YouTube. And I think like podcasters, if you want to grow your show, like you just need to research like how other creators get found and solve these same problems because people are doing it in other niches and other platforms and mediums as well. And a lot of that stuff just applies one to one. And one of the things that's interesting to me about YouTube is you have all this granular data, which unfortunately we don't have in podcasting. And so you can see, oh, somebody dropped off or the majority of people, I had this huge drop off of interest at, you know, the five and a half minute mark there. And so then you can go back and look at that and be like, Oh, like what happened at five and a half minutes? And you see like, oh yeah, maybe this was, I was dragging on too long. Like I, there wasn't quick enough with my transitions or pe probably I, I, people were getting bored or I brought up this topic right here and people were like, eh, not really interesting. And so you had, you're able to kind of get back to like, okay, what's, what's actually going on here so I can make my content better. Podcasters have that to some extent. If you look at, you know, the dashboards and Apple podcasts and Google and Spotify, but I don't think many people actually look at that. The other thing with YouTube is like people spend so much time obsessing, like obsessing over titles and to the point where they'll publish videos and they'll be changing the titles multiple times throughout the day because you have that real time feedback. Again, not so great in podcasting as well as with the graphics. And I don't think there are many podcasters. I don't know anyone who obsesses this much about the craft of their shows and breaking down what's hooking people and what's losing people. And because we don't have that algorithm, I think it's easy for us as podcasters to say, like, we just shrug and be like, well, who knows why? Like, I'm not getting listeners, but but who knows why? When really YouTubers understand it's on them. Like, I can change my title. I can change my uh, content. 
and I can see what's turning people off and I can learn from this research and I can gather information and I can do better next time. And I think that that's this huge missing part with podcasters that this is kind of going off of your question about discoverability. But when it comes to like something like YouTube, where there is that discoverability engine, people are still obsessive about all of these elements within their control that podcasters generally don't do. And so to kind of like wrap up the, the discoverability side of things, my opinion on that is like every single business that exists, there's no discoverability engine for that. And so it, like, most things people create and have created throughout history, even when there is an algorithm suggesting things like everybody has a discoverability problem that like, that's what it is to be a creative is to solve your discoverability problem. And so, yes, podcasting has a discoverability problem, but so does everybody else out there, too. And so if you write a book, there's way more books than are produced than podcasts. They have a much harder time, like getting notoriety and, and publicity, even if Amazon does have a discoverability engine built in. And same with YouTube. And so I think like we can look at this and we can look for some external app or Spotify or whatever to, you know, come in and, and hope to be our savior and, and solve it for us. But until that comes and even once it does, like it's still on us to learn how to market it. And to be able to, you know, I mean, create something and, and work with those variables we have in our control to get people's attention and hold that attention and get them to, you know, subscribe to us over time. Yeah, I'm, I'm realizing that we had one of our biggest days ever for one of our shows. We had, I think, 40,000 downloads mm -hmm. in a day. Usually we do that like in a week and we got that in one day and we looked at it and we had an uh, episode that came out that day. So it was a publishing day. And there's normally a spike there, but it was on a topic that we had talked about and kind of researched a little and that topic was trending and we said, hey, let's do an episode on that. And so that matched. But then even after that, we couldn't really figure out what happened. Yeah. I was sitting there for two weeks trying to figure out what what happened. And to this day, all that we could come up with was that it was a great topic. And we do obsess over our episode titles. And we do spend a lot of time thinking about the topics that are going to resonate. And the show is about marketers and by, it's a bunch of marketers that put it on. So hopefully we can write some good titles. But and I think my point is there's not a lot of diagnostic tools that are readily and easily accessible so that like in YouTube, if you're a nerd, at least they're in there and you can go figure it mm -hmm. out. That might not be available. And then even once someone makes a diagnosis, there's no clear roadmap necessarily. That's why I have a job, frankly, yeah. is that there's no clear roadmap on, on how to actually market it. So what is your process for working or through with a show or helping a show grow? Because obviously there's no one size fit all for any show. So how do you think about that when it comes to actually marketing and growing a podcast? For me, it, it just, I, I kind of mentioned this before, going back to this idea of having a compelling concept. And this like is where it always starts. And I don't think, I don't know that I've ever talked to somebody who's come in for marketing support where I was like, oh, your show concept is like really solid and perfect and there's no work that needs to be done there. And that's not, that's fine because like, that's just the nature of creating things. Like it is, I, I would almost say impossible to like start it as the version that's going to be successful. Like I've been writing a newsletter for two years and it's coming up on two years and I'm only just now actually understanding what the newsletter actually is. And being able to talk about it in a way that is actually cohesive and coherent to someone else. Like I still am just for two years been like working through like, what am I creating? How do I talk about it? What's the through line here? How do I communicate that in a way that other people get it immediately? And there's been so many format changes throughout that. And like, this is just the way creating anything goes. And that's frustrating. 
But again, like that's kind of what you sign up for as a creator. And the people who don't succeed are the ones who want immediate success within three months, six months, even a year. And really the people are, who are successful, they're in this for like the 10 year game is the game they're playing. Or even, even going further, like when I think about it, I'm like, this is my life. Like I want to spend my life doing something I'm proud of, something that fulfills me, something that feels like it comes close to achieving my potential. And so I don't expect to land on that within six months or a year. This 30 years from now, what am I going to be creating 30 years from now? And how can I just start moving tiny steps toward that today? And so I think a lot of that just comes with experimentation and with running through different ideas and different formats and different concepts with your show, especially at the start. And eventually you find something that really resonates with both you and an audience. But I think Part of it's like at, at the start, you can't expect to have that. And so I would almost say the first step to marketing is going in and being like, okay, I'm probably doing a whole bunch of stuff wrong right now. My show is probably not as good as I think it is. The idea behind it, there might be something there, but I'm probably not presenting it as coherently as it could be. I probably don't know how to talk about it that well. And so before I go out and start buying Facebook ads or ads on other podcasts or anything, I got to figure all this stuff out because if I can't talk about it in a way that hooks people, I can get all the attention in the world and nobody's coming back to the show. And maybe it's not even being presented. Maybe I can talk about it, but the way the show is being presented could be tightened up. And so for me, when working with people uh, on a marketing capacity, like this is all the groundwork stuff that needs to be worked through and it's frustrating and it's slow and it like, I can't do it for you. You got to do that for yourself because one of the things I see with people who are successful creating podcasts or anything is like the show is worth doing even if no one listens. And that's the way I feel about my newsletter. Like I get so much out of it that if I had zero subscribers, I would still write it every week because for me, it helps clarify my thinking. It helps me explore new ideas. It helps me just in all these other very practical ways. They're not just like in internal things. Basically my course, I wrote that out as blog posts almost entirely before I ever created the course. And then when it came time to create the course, I was like, oh, I know exactly what I think about every podcast mar marketing topic imaginable because I've already written about it. And that's one of the things that I think people who, who end up being successful with their podcasts, with their content, they just love the topic so much that they just want to explore it, whether or not they have any other listeners. And so being able to do that and work through that and find that thing, both that works for you, and then also resonates with other people. That's kind of at this, this ground level of marketing that I don't think people spend enough time on. And I don't think it's not, it's, it's hard to like help someone do that. You can walk someone through that, but reading a blog post, you're probably not going to get there. You can read a blog post and get easily like, okay, here's five ways to, you know, set up a cross promotion with another podcaster. And that's great. Okay. That's easy. I can follow that. MYP fam. Thanks for hanging out today. I hope you got some value from today's conversation. And I definitely encourage you to go and connect with me and Jeremy on Twitter. You can find the links in the show notes. And if you want to dive deep and take your show to the next level, Jeremy's hosting a free live workshop to help get your show unstuck. So if you want the link to sign up for that, make sure you check the show notes as well. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you. We'll see you on the next one.